Welcome to the Command Post Podcast, powered by First Do. I'm your host, Tom Lewis, First Do's Director of Training. I am pleased today to welcome Ed Mann to the podcast. Chief Ed Mann served four Pennsylvania governors for 14 and a half years as the Pennsylvania State Fire Commissioner. He retired from the United States Air Force as a firefighter in 1994 and recently retired as the fire chief of his local volunteer fire department where he served for 20 years. Currently, Ed is the Director of Training and Education for Provident Insurance, one of the nation's premier providers of customized insurance solutions for emergency services organizations. Over the past decade, I've come to appreciate Ed as a no-nonsense straight shooter man of integrity and inspiring leadership. I am grateful to have him on the Command Post podcast. Let's get it started. Well, Ed, man, it's a pleasure to have you on the Command Post podcast today. Thank you so much uh, for taking time to join me. And I think we've got an interesting topic to go, go over today. We're going to talk about that tr- the transition, um, the transition from being in the fire service to either retirement, to a second career, a second life, and some of the challenges that can be expected when that happens. Because I know that when that happened to me, I faced quite a few challenges and, you know, you don't expect some of the things that happen to happen. And I think our ability to talk about this and raise that awareness now. So even if you're new to the fire service, you just got into an academy, you just joined the fire service, you have a a long, expected to have a long, healthy, prosperous career, there will come a time when it will end. And what happens when it when it ends and how do you handle it between <coughs> mental health issues, the transition, finances? So, you know, you know this well. Um, and so let's get it, let's get into it. What are what what are some of the things that you should be thinking about while you're on the job to prepare you for that significant transition later in life? Well, well Tom, I, 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 if you don't mind, I, I I want to try so people really understand where I came from in the fire service. Of course. So I grew up in a small town in central Pennsylvania. The name of the town was Belfont in Center County, not far from the main campus of Penn State University. And my dad was a volunteer. There were two fire companies in town. The Undyne Fire Company had blue fire trucks and the Logan Fire Company on the other like four blocks away had red fire trucks. My dad, we lived about five doors up the street from the Undyne Fire Company. And I always went to the firehouse with my dad. My dad was a volunteer. And when, of course, they didn't have pagers back then. So when his little plectron would go off, we would, me and my brothers would run around the house and help him find his coat and then run down the street and follow him down the street and then stand on the corner and watch the fire trucks leave. And every Sunday the Undyne Fire Company and the Logan Fire Company would drive around town and stop in a neighborhood and pick kids up and take them for rides on fire trucks. Well, I would not ride on a red fire truck. In fact, (laughs) if we saw red fire trucks, we would boo them because it was the Undyne's. My dad belonged to the Undyne's. That was our fire company. So obviously, as I got older, I got over that. Well, I started hanging out at the Undyne's at the age of 14 going to informally going to classes. And then I would go to the Logans and they kind of welcomed me with, with open arms. And as it turned out, just as I turned 14, 
Actually, I think I was, wait, I just turned 14. I was riding my bicycle when I came down the hill, ran a stop sign, hit a car right in front of the Logan Fire Company, and they ran ambulances in those days. So they picked me up, took me to the hospital. So I started hanging out at both stations. Both fire chiefs kind of welcomed me with open arms. And so I started going to classes informally, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you had to be 21 to join the Undines at the time. You only had to be 18 to join the Logans. So I joined the Logans when I turned 18. And I had an uncle who was a life member at the Undines. He used to say to me, I'd rather be dead than red. Or I'd, yeah, I'd rather be dead than red. I mean, oh, okay. And so anyway, when I turned 18, I joined the Logans. And then I went into the Air Force. And obviously, I went to the Air Force with a guaranteed job as a firefighter. Now, my plan was to go in for four years and get out, use the GI Bill and go to college. The economy in uh, the early 80s wasn't so terrific, so I stayed in. And so before I knew it, I decided to make a career out of that. I mean, they were paying me to hang out in a firehouse. I mean, you oh, know, yeah. and I'd done it all those years for nothing, so uh, – so I ended up making a career out of the Air Force. So every duty assignment I was at, when I was in South Dakota, I got involved with the local volunteer fire department. When I went to Okinawa, I didn't get involved with the local fire service quite so much because they were it was all career. I left there and went to Wyoming. I got involved with Laramie County Fire District 1 for a period of time, and then Laramie County Fire District 2. Uh, I left Wyoming and moved to Florida. And I got involved with uh, the Defuniac Springs Fire Department as, as a volunteer while I worked in the Air Force as a firefighter. And then I came to Lewistown 1986 as a recruiter, and I got involved with the local fire department, the Fame Fire Company, and they had an ambulance service. So I did ambulance. I got involved and became a local level instructor and an adjunct instructor at the State Fire Academy because it's right here. And then in 90, I went back into the Air Force Fire Department overseas. So the first Gulf War was winding down in, in, in 93. Okay. And uh, of course, the Air Force, the military, like they typically do after a war, they start to downsize. So I tested for, I, I was an E7 Master Sergeant. I tested for E8 Senior Master Sergeant. And I did very well in the board scores. Like I scored in the top 10% of my career field on board scores, but I still needed over 100 points in a written test to get promoted. And then later that year, they froze promotions to E8 and E9. And they offered me, I, I was in that window. I missed the first opportunity for an early retirement. So I had a year to think about it. Uh, and it took me the better part of a year and probably about three quarters of the way through that year, I made up my mind I was going because if I stuck around and I retired as an, an, an E7 after 20 years, compared to an E7 at 17 years, it was $159 a month. And it to me, it just wasn't. And the other issues that were going on in the Air Force at the time is because they were downsizing and promotions were getting tight, a lot of the senior people were more concerned about themselves and we're caring less about the troops. Mm. And when I went in the Air Force, it was all about you take care of the troops, the troops take care of you. And I was finding myself 
more and more at odds with the senior leadership. And I knew if I stuck around sooner or later, it was going to get me in trouble. I mean, <laughs> you can only tell Fulberg colonels once so often, tell them off, and sooner or later, it's going to catch up to you. So I decided to retire from the Air Force. I'll be honest with you. I really didn't have a plan. I knew I could find work. Uh, I sent my family home several months early. And with my the leave I had on the books and stuff, I was actually able to my retirement from Air Force wasn't official till the end of September of 94. I actually came home at the end of June. So I had basically from the end of June until September to, to find employment. Uh, we were living with my in-laws and I went out looking for work every day. And I'll be honest with you, it got scary. I, I, I mean, uh, things were looking a little tough. I wasn't sure I was going to find work real easy. Uh, I can remember going to the employment office and they sent me out on a couple of jobs. And I went for an interview as a dispatcher for a local salvage yard. And the guy said to me during the interview, the first time uh, while we were interviewing, he said, well, you're retired from the military. I won't have to pay you as much. Well, I didn't say anything at first because we're getting down to the wire and I needed a job. Well, he we said it like three more times. And finally, I had enough. And I stood up and I said, we're done. I said, my service in the military has nothing to do with you hiring me. This interview's over with. Yeah. And I get up and walked out. So I stopped by a local senator, um, the local senator's office, and I talked to him and one of his staff members and said, hey, if you come across any state jobs that might be available, I'm looking for work. So I continued to look for work. And I had not yet officially retired from the Air Force. And about the first week of September, I get a phone call from the senator's office. Uh, we have an interview scheduled for you. I said, okay, where? I thought it was the Department of Transportation. So, no, you're going to interview with the senator and a local representative. And if we like you, you're going to go to work for both of us. I went, oh, okay. So I go to this interview with a, a state senator and a, and a local house member. and. A couple of weeks go by and I get a phone call one day from the senator and he said, look, he said the representative, he thinks you have too much baggage because of some stuff you stirred up when you were in town between 86 and 90. He doesn't want to hire you, but I don't care what he does. I want you to go to work for me. <laughs> so before my retirement from Air Force was official, I ended up going to work as an executive assistant for a local state senator. And Part of my responsibility was, you know, to help with constituents that had issues, et cetera, et cetera. So I didn't really have a plan. I knew I could find work. Uh, it just took a little longer than I expected it to. And 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 I got nervous near the end. I, I was really beginning to wonder whether or not I was going to find employment. And I got to the point where, you know, you, you got a wife and two kids and you're going to get this pension check from the, the, the Air Force, but it certainly ain't going to be enough to take care of business. Right. Uh, I was getting a little desperate. So I was, I was getting to the point where I, I, I may have taken anything that came along, at least to have employment. Uh, so I worked for him for four years. He retired. And then his son ran for his seat and got elected. And I worked for him. Uh, so, I mean, 
I had a year to think about it, but I really didn't have a plan. I knew I needed to leave the Air Force. I wasn't having fun anymore. I didn't look forward to putting a uniform on. It, it just wasn't. And so a lot of people said to me, how did you know it was time to retire? It's different for everybody. You just do. Right. I mean, you know, it, I, and, and for me, it was I wasn't having fun anymore. I had no chance of making another uh, another promotion in the next three years. I knew I was going to have to make a move from England back to the States with the family to another base, stick around three years, retire, and then have to move again. So all those things, <laughs> excuse me, factored into my, me wanting to retire. But I didn't really have a plan uh, as far as employment. I didn't have something that readily to step into. So my advice to anybody is, you know, make sure you have some kind of other employment, especially if you're young and you still have a family to maintain. And that pension that you're getting is not going to take care of of paying the bills and a mortgage and all that. Make sure you have some employment lined up, ready to go, something sure to step into. And that's for anybody, right? That's even if you um, retire at the end of, you know, career and you have a decent pension and you're still looking for work or need work, you know, have don't just don't just uh, bail without having some sort of plan or some sort of idea or somewhere to land, right? Whether yep. it is whether it's going to be full on retirement or you're going to be transitioning to a second career, right? Yep. I, I and like I said, I, I I got pretty nervous there for a while. I mean, you know, it was it was it, it kept me awake at night worrying about you know was I going to land employment anywhere. To, uh, the, so, the, the, so the what, veterans, the veterans guy that worked at the employment office was a lot of help and they were willing to get me lined up with an employer where they would pay me, to, they would pay to train me for the, a job. So the VA or, or, or the employment office, so a, a guy would hire me and the employment office would actually pay for my training to train for a new position. But we we really couldn't find any employers that were willing to take a guy where my entire background was nothing but the fire service. I mean, right. that's all I really knew. Sure. Uh, yeah. Know. Yeah. So and, what? Uh, so thinking now, not just your experience there, but when your your time with the fire service in Pennsylvania and as a state fire commissioner, what other when you when you encounter similar situations with your peers or with other firefighters. What what's what are some examples you you encountered there and the tra- and the challenges that you know people that were close to you faced? Well, I, well, a lot of guys I know that retired from career fire departments were relatively young because they were relatively young when they got hired. Right, they were relatively young and still had a lot to offer to an employer somewhere. And even though they had decent pensions, in a lot of cases, it wasn't enough to cover you know, all their living expenses and all, and, and what have you. Uh, so they went out looking for employment. And I mean, let's face it, Tom, you know, those, a lot of people in the fire service, we don't have a lot of hobbies outside the fire service. No, we do not. <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, now uh, granted there are guys I know that, you know, are carpenters and, and, and they do that as a, in some cases, as a full-time gig, even while they're a career fire department, a career firefighter. But a lot of people in our business don't, they don't have side gigs. I mean, they work their shifts. And so, you know, my advice to anybody is make sure you, 
make sure if you know your finances are not going to be adequate to take care of business for you with your pension, make damn sure you have something lined up before you jump ship. Right. Uh, because it causes a lot of stress. I mean, the, it was stuff that kept me awake at night. And I, you know, I, I never let on to my wife. I let it bother me or anything. But it was causing some tension. That and the fact we were living with my in-laws. So, you know, my wife and I were in a queen-size bed and both kids, my daughter was in a little mini bed and my kid was in a crib in the same bedroom. So there were four of us in the same bedroom. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that added some tension to everything because I didn't have my own space. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, you know, and then of course, eventually I got appointed as state fire commissioner, and I originally got appointed by then Governor Tom Ridge. Of course, he went on to become a Homeland Security Secretary. And my boss at the time, the senator I worked for, when I took the job as a fire commissioner, he told me I was crazy because the Ridge administration was up to their last like eighteen months in their second term, so. I could have worked for him for 18 months and got kicked to the curb. Sure. And I'd have been out looking for work again. Uh, so then, of course, Tom Ridge went on to become the Homeland Security Secretary. The lieutenant governor took over, so I worked for him. And then there was an election, and Ed Rendell got elected as governor. Different party altogether. And probably just a couple of days after he won the election, I got a telephone call from him. I, in fact, I was at the state fire Academy working as an adjunct instructor and the pager I had with me was going crazy. And so I called this number and this lady said, when I hang up, Ed Rendell will be on the phone with you. So I got on the phone. He said, are you available to talk to me later tonight? And I said, sure. So I called my wife right away. I said, listen, if somebody with a raspy voice calls the house tonight and says it's Ed Rendell, don't hang up on him. And it ain't a joke. Oh, uh, so that night I come home and the phone rang. It was him. He said, do you want to be my fire commissioner? And I went to Philadelphia on Veterans Day of that year. And I was one of the first two people appointed to his administration. Hmm. Uh, so I worked for him for eight years. He got term limited. And then uh, Tom Corbett ran for governor. He got elected. I got reappointed with him. And when he sought reelection after his four year, his first four year term, he lost the election. And on January the 15th of 2015, I got a telephone call from a young man that said, the governor elect appreciates everything you've done the last 14 and a half years, but, uh -huh. and I knew what was next. Uh, so. My last day was January the 20th of 2015 at noon. Uh, so I had five days to clean out two offices, uh, say my goodbyes to my staff. Uh, and it was pretty emotional. I'm sure. Uh, and uh, I had no idea. So, of course, I sent out a blast email to everybody saying, hey, look, I haven't been reappointed. There were a lot of people, there were a lot of nasty things posted on Facebook about the governor-elect. Uh, and I eventually sat down and put something on Facebook and told everybody to knock it off. 
The guy spent a lot of his own money to get elected. He has the right to appoint who he wants to. The fire service has enough, the fire service in Pennsylvania has enough issues where we need to be united on. And the last thing we need to do is to be divided over someone else being appointed as a fire commissioner. Uh, and now I'm not going to tell you it didn't hurt me that it happened that way uh, and that I wasn't frustrated over the whole deal. But hey, I got appointed by a politician. I got kicked to the curb by a politician. So yeah, that's, that's how life goes. Nature, that's the nature of that position. So, yep. And so, so I got a, I, I got a, so I sent out this email and on January the 20th at noon was my last day. At one o'clock that afternoon, my wife and I met with two executives from Provident and in Bedford County at Bedford Springs over lunch. And we came to an agreement that I would go to work for them. The only thing they wanted me to do was wait till the end of February to go to Pittsburgh and meet the CEO. Now, I knew all these guys because of my interaction as a fire commissioner and them being an insurance company that dealt primarily with fire and EMS. We knew one another. Uh, so I went out to Pittsburgh in, on February the 23rd of 2015 and met with the CEO. And he said, Barry Ballier said, so you want to work for me? I said, yes. Yeah. And he offered me a salary. I said, I need 5,000 more a year. I knew what my state pension would be. I knew what I was making. When I retired as the fire commissioner. I needed at least that much money annually. So I didn't go backwards with our livelihood. Okay. Yeah. With our lifestyle, if you will. And he, he looked at me and smiled. He said, done. I said, damn, I should have asked for more. Right. Uh, so <laughs> You know, my retirement for, I, I got to tell you, when when I first left the fire commissioner's office, and I'll admit it, I was hurt by the way the whole thing went down. I, I mean, the guy that replaced me was a, was a state senator. He had lost his election. He had fire service background. When he lost his election, I called him on the phone the day after the election to see how he was doing, because I worked with him pretty closely when he was in the House and the Senate, because he was a major advocate for the fire service in PA. And he point blank told me, don't worry about it. I'm not after your job. You're doing a great job. You're, you're a good friend of mine. I wouldn't do that to you. Well, after he got appointed as a fire commissioner, I found out he was in the Capitol building two days after he lost the election, lobbying for my job. <laughs> excuse me uh, so that kind of bothered uh, me politics politics and I, I i'll be honest with you i mean it took me a while to get adjusted from being you know basically the number one fire guy in an entire state to nothing so let's let's talk about this for a second so not just being number one fire guy to and you're, you know, not that you are nothing, but you, what you say, nothing, right? So let's put that down to the level of all of us, right? That, you know, firefighters, company officers, chief officers in organizations. Let's talk a little bit more because I know we we had, <clears throat> we talked about this earlier, you know, when we were preparing for this. What's that, that, that transition's hard, right? Oh, yeah. So, so your, your position, obviously very hard, number one, you know, state fire commissioner, but then even let's talk about your experience, but let's talk about what you've seen with other your peers experiences, because I know like mine even was, man, the brotherhood's alive and well, 
until it isn't. Because yeah, exactly. Until exactly. it isn't. Because when you're not on the job, you're not on the job. And, you're and, kinda... and you quickly find out, you quickly find out who who stayed close to you because you were of value to them. And when you're no longer in a position to be value to them, they don't know who you are. Yeah. And you know, okay. you have your friends that stay close to you afterwards. You know, I have some friends that I still talk with that were yep. on my cruise, you know, but that's probably a handful, right? Yep. Yep. And, exactly. Uh, so exactly. I, I think, I, and I think about how we tout the brotherhood and I, I kind of question it a lot of times. Uh, you know, look, I, I've often said, I sometimes think in our business, we use the term brotherhood when we're seeking when we want people to feel sorry for us because we lost a brother. Okay. okay. Yeah, you follow what I'm saying? Okay. We, we throw that term around, but I don't think, and, and, a lot, and look, I don't call a lot of people in our business brother. Uh, that's, that's something you got to earn with me. All yeah. right. If I put my arm around you and call you a brother, in this business, you've earned it with me. And I'm the same, I'm the same way. And there's a lot of people I say, you know, that they've earned it and not only earned it, but also the relationship warrants it, right? Yeah, exactly. Names are coming to my head right now, just as your names are coming to your head. Yep. And, and, but you, you quickly find out. and, And so I'll be honest with you. I had a very difficult time making that adjustment. I actually picked the telephone up and called a close friend of mine for the mental health community and I needed to go in and just be able to vent to somebody about how I felt. Well, uh, let's let's stop right there because that's, and we don't need to get into the weeds about it, but just taking that step because I know I needed to do it and did it. You did it. That there's no shame in it, right? No. That that, that the honor is the the honor and the and the the bravery. We talk about the bravery in our in our profession. Well, there's bravery needed when you leave the profession as well to get the help that you might need. And it, it can be profound or it can be just, you know, someone to talk with, um, whatever it might be, do it. I yeah, mean, it, I, it, I, 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 I've often told people it's okay to talk to somebody. And, 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 and the guy I talked to was involved with the local critical critical incident stress management teams. So he understood first responders. And when I first called a secretary said, well, he's not taking new appointments. I said, well, you tell him Ed Mann wants to talk to him. She called me back like 20 minutes later. She said, can you be here in an hour? Uh, And I went, I I probably made four or five trips in to see him to see Dave Ray's who it was. And and I just needed to vent to somebody. I, I, I didn't want to take my frustration out on my family and I really didn't know who to talk to. I didn't want to burden close friends with the way I felt. I just needed to talk to somebody and 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 just clear the air, if you will. And it made me feel much better just being able to go in and spend 45 minutes to an hour, four or five times and vent. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and just it's it's a, it's a healthy, courageous step to do yep. any any or all of those things. And we won't get into the depths well, of it, the it, men, what, what mental the need, the mental health needs in those type of situations. Some are more profound and severe. Yep. Others are less so. But the, regardless of the the acuity of it. You've got your story is a testament to just do it. 
yep. right? To go get out there and, and make take those steps. I know I could get into my story and the same thing, just go out there and do it. Yep. And and and, and probably one of the things that made it a little easier for me was the fact that, of course, you know, I went to work right away for Provident. I had I didn't even have my first state pension check and I was already working for, for you know for another company. Uh, I started the 23rd of February and at the end of February, I got my first paycheck from Provident. I was like, woohoo. I call and say, hey, I'm a little confused. I already got a paycheck. So, well, you joined us in the middle of the pay period. We still owed you money. I said, okay. Uh, but being able to stay engaged with the fire service yeah. was helpful. And of course, I was still active with the local volunteer fire department as the fire chief. So I was still kind of able to stay engaged with the fire service. So it wasn't a, co a complete break, but so, the, the, the things, uh, you know, the, the thing that bothered me then and still bothers me today is, is the number of people after a very short period of time, they didn't know who you were anymore because you were of no value to them that there were, you know, you couldn't do anything to help them anymore because you no longer had that title as fire commissioner. Uh, and, or and that take it down to fire captain. Yep. Captain. Yeah. Yep. It, you know, it, you're, it, you're, it, you're, it, a, you know, a chief of a fire department where you've been there for a, a, a long time. And, and, and now look, when I was a fire commissioner, you know, I didn't please everybody all the time, but I was always fair. And, and I can honestly say for the most part, I was pretty well respected and liked by the Pennsylvania fire service. Okay. Did everybody in the Pennsylvania Fire Service like me? Absolutely not. Because I had to make decisions at times that, you know, people didn't agree with. I, I understand that. I get that. And, and there was never any hard feelings with that. Uh, but to have that taken away from you with one telephone call. Sure. Okay. Uh, so, what, so what do you say with that, the challenges of that? But then how about... For someone that is highly defined, and, and this is common in the fire service, law enforcement, that they're so heavily defined by what they do. You probably have seen that as well, that when that goes away, they lose a lot of their identity and how to transition and, and, and emerge from that. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, I, you know, it made it easier for me because I was still engaged with the local fire department, the volunteer fire department, and with a, a company that hired me that you know, sells insurance and provides training to fire departments and EMS people. So I can only imagine how difficult it would be for somebody who was a chief officer or had been a captain in a career department for 20 years, 25 years, or the senior guy that never wanted to be a lieutenant or a captain, right. but the senior guy that was on the job for 25 or 30 years that everybody looked to and now he walks away from that and he's not engaged in it at all. Okay. He doesn't get involved with the local volunteer fire department. He doesn't go, to, he's not fortunate enough to go to work for a company that's, that actively works with fire and EMS to do none of that. I, I don't know. I don't know that I could have made the transition even though I had some issues along the way, 
had I not still been engaged in the fire service some, some Yeah, it's a powerful profession for us. Mine you is know? the same way because I, I, did, I had an ignominious departure from my, depart, my department and it, it just broke my heart, right? And yep. then thankfully I had um, another company that served the fire service. And then, you know, here, at, you know, I'm here at first due that still is engaged with that, that mission oriented mindset yep. that I think a lot of us, um, well, you definitely do. If you went from air force to the fire service, you're clearly a mission oriented individual, right? Yeah, well, yeah, and, and, you know, so, so I, I guess what I'm saying is for, for those of us that are going to listen to this, that are, have been strictly fire service and they're going to walk away from it and there'll be no ties to it at all. Okay. Because look, I'm going to tell you what, if, if, <laughs> you know, you, you, if you're the senior guy in a firehouse right now and you retire and walk away from it within six months, when you walk back in the firehouse, nobody's going to know who you were. How they may talk that? about you. They may talk about you when you're not there and tell stories about you when you're not there. But then, you know, those people rotate out. You go back to the station where you spent your entire, you know, most of your career. There's new people there. They don't know who you are. You got You better prepare for that. And, and, and I, I don't I honestly can't tell you how to tell somebody to prepare for that. Uh, but be ready for it because it, it's got to be a shock to the system. Oh, it, it, it will be. It will you know? be a big shock. Uh and then, and then, you know, like I said, I stayed engaged with the volunteer department in 2019, the, I was the chief of the East Dairy Fire Company, and we started negotiations with the Highland Park Coast Company, and we, we consolidated officially in January of 2020 and became the Chief Logan Volunteer Fire Department, and I, I made it clear I didn't want to be the chief as part of the merger. And part of that was we invited two other fire departments in a local area to be part of it. And I didn't want them to use me as the excuse as to why they didn't want to be part of it. You follow what I'm saying? I, I didn't want you. them to say, hey, if he's going to be the chief, we want nothing to do with it. So I made it clear, wasn't interested in being the chief. So the guy that was the chief at Highland Park was the chief. I was his deputy. And then about midway through 2020, he resigned and I ended up becoming the chief. Now, I made it clear when we merged with one another that I would stick around for two years for the merger. And then I was done. So early 2021, I told everybody, hey, guys, at the end of this year, I'm finished. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, we've heard that before. Well, by the middle of the year, they knew I was serious. So they had a in December of, of, of 2021, they had a little retirement thing for me at the firehouse and gave me a bunch of gifts and stuff. Some really neat stuff made me feel really good. And, and, and the guy that took over as the chief had been my deputy. And I told him, I said, look, Eric, you know, I understand sometimes the new guy doesn't want the old guy underfoot. And I completely understand that. No harm, no foul. But if you want me to drive for you as a driver, because I only live about 50 feet from one of the two stations and I work from home. If you want me to be a driver, I'll drive for you. All you got to do is ask. Uh, and if I think you're going to do if I think you're making a mistake doing something, I'll tell you privately how I feel. But at the end of the day, whatever you decide to do, I'll support you. 
I will not go out on the floor and badmouth you. And I told the fire crew assembled at their retirement party. You know, if you don't agree with the fire chief, that's okay. You go behind closed doors and tell him you don't agree. But ultimately, whatever he decides to do, especially if you're an officer, you got to go out on the floor and support him. Don't be bad mouthing. Well, he hasn't asked me yet to drive. I haven't volunteered again. So I have, I've been to the fire station once to review insurance policies with him and four or five times to wash my vehicles. I've not driven a fire truck for him since the beginning of the year. I haven't done any classes for them. I haven't been asked to do anything for the fire department. But here's what I've noticed. Same thing went on there that went on when I left the fire commissioner's office. The guy that was my assistant chief for years, I've heard from him three times since the beginning of the year. Okay. And he was, we were always in contact with one. Sure. Again, as I see it, I'm a no value to him anymore. I, I, I don't have anything to offer him because I'm not the fire chief anymore. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and, and you even, I even run into guys from the fire crew that if I don't speak to them first, they wouldn't speak to me. And I'm like, <laughs> it's just interesting. It's just an interesting dynamic. Cause I think that's common. And so in so many ways, it's, it's common across many industries probably, but you know, in, in ours, and it's probably because we take what we do too much to heart. It becomes too much of who we are. It's our, too much of our identity. It's never been just a job. Certainly not for you. Definitely not for me. And that's a good and a bad thing because then we have these conversations. But this is important for people listening to know that it will happen to you and that it's not necessarily personal, even though it's painful. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, 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 you know, and I've had other people in area departments ask me, well, I'll be honest with you. There are even people from area fire departments around here that it's like, who's that? You know, who, who's that guy? You know, Hey, that's not the form. It's, you know, look, I was chief too, as the, at this department for 20 plus years. And, 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 you know, it's it, it now it's like, who are you? Uh, you so, know, I'm the same guy. I just well, don't have the title anymore. Well, that's the thing. You know, we've met, right? We met when you were fire commissioner. Okay. But we just kind of hit it off and you just, you stay friends. You stay connected, even though you're across the country. I'm in Tucson and you're in, in Pennsylvania. But, you know, you come say hi to me at conferences when you're, we're at the same conference. Even if it's just a, a five minute hello and reconnect, yeah. the, those things those are things that, again, I would suggest to nurture those relationships too, because you never know how important or how special those will become later on. And, you know, we never worked with or for each other, but nonetheless, we're, we're connected this way. And so as we kind of wrap this up a little bit, what other things would you like to say to, to those that are going to make the transition? Ed, like you've made it a couple times, two, three times in your career. What are some other things that you just would want to leave with the listeners and the viewers that, okay, you, you will retire someday. We want you to have a healthy retirement, both mentally and physically healthy, but what other, is there anything else or other things that you'd like to leave the viewer and the listeners so that they have confidence, they have hope that they will go through some difficult times. There will be some like, is this really happening? You know, like, you know, they don't talk to me because they don't, need something from me anymore 
what else can you say? Well, have a financial plan. Know what your finances are going to be. I mean, you know, don't jump ship without having knowing where your finances are going to be. Uh, understand, and I think you made the point earlier. Understand that even though it's it it hurts, don't take it personal when people yeah. no longer. That's hard, no right? Long, you know, no longer when 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 it seems people no longer have any use for you. Right. All right. Don't take it personal. Uh, it just seems to be the dynamic of our business, and 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 be prepared for that. Just because uh, it's painful doesn't mean it's personal. Yeah, and, I can, and if you're I, if you're yeah. a younger guy in this business, do yourself a favor. Find something to do outside of the fire service. I don't care if you're a volunteer or if you're a career person, find something to do outside of the fire service. So when you decide to retire, you've got something to do. You've got something where you can turn your focus to. I, I, whether, and I, just find it now, whether it's a hobby that you really get into, whether you, you go learn some kind of other trade, do but be be ready to be able to do something else when you make that transition. Don't don't be in a position where you've got nothing to do. That's because I got to tell you, Tom, oof. if I wouldn't have had the firehouse when I got kicked to the curb as a fire commissioner, if I wouldn't have had the firehouse and went to work from for Provident, I I probably would have went down a very deep dark hole. Hundred percent, I can relate. One hundred percent. Because okay. I had nothing else to do. I had no hobbies. Everything I did from the time I was 14 until the time the, the Governor Wolf got elected and asked me to go find something else to do evolved around the fire service. Yeah, because we love it okay. so much. It's just one of those professions that it's it's not a job for so many of us. It's yep. just not. And, 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 and the folks in the volunteer service, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, find some balance with it, okay? Because when I look back over my my time with the local volunteer fire department, when I look at the weekends that I gave up, <coughs> excuse me, because we had training to do at the firehouse, or we had a committee meeting on the weekend, and and. And and I and and stuff with my family became secondary, and the firehouse was primary. Yeah, okay? be careful with that. Find some balance with it. To you younger people, find some balance and find something that you can do outside of the fire service. So, because even as a volunteer, you're going to walk away from it someday, and you're and, and until you walk away from it, you'll never realize just how much time, energy, and effort you put into it even as yeah. a volunteer oh yeah you know oh, yeah uh I, I mean my entire adult life from the time i was 14 was the fire department the fire service and uh you know i've retired from as, as the fire chief i got to be honest with you i didn't realize until i retired as a fire chief just how much how much of a drain that was on my life Okay. Now I'm still engaged because I work for Providence. So I still have an opportunity to get into firehouses, meet people, be around firefighters. 
but I am perfectly content now to leave and go to my cabin in the mountain. And I don't feel guilty about it anymore. I used to feel guilty. Oh yes. You know, Oh Oh, God, I'm going to camp this weekend and I'm leaving the firehouse behind. I felt, I don't feel guilty about that anymore. And maybe it's because I'm 63 now. I don't know. Well, Um, you just was some more wisdom, but I think a lot of people listening and watching are like, this sounds, some are saying that's not me because the different generation maybe has a different mindset, but you and, and many of us, it's like, you're, you're saying that and they go, Oh my gosh, that's me. That's me right now. Not, and I don't say myself anymore, but that was me on the job. I love the job so much. I mean, I'm doing training on days off, taking classes. It was yeah. just pure joy. And, but it will go, it will end at some point it ends. Yep. I mean, yeah, I was the fire commissioner, the fire chief, and the financial secretary at the fire station. Okay. So, all right. So I get kicked to the curb as a fire commissioner. I still had the firehouse as the fire chief I could identify with. I was still taking care of the finances. I was working for a company. But th- those of you that don't that that aren't going to be fortunate enough to be able to stay engaged, you got to have something else to do. Yeah, that's good advice. You know, uh Find find a damn hobby and, and and really enjoy your hobby. Something you can identify with when when you retire as a career guy or you walk away from the volunteer fire service. Uh and, and even the career guys, you know, find some balance with it. You know, but balance what you're doing in the firehouse with your life outside of the firehouse. Uh, you know. Because when it ends, that scale like goes on tilt. Oh yeah, you know, and and uh, yeah, be ready. No, be ready, Ed, uh, Ed man. This has uh, been a good conversation. Of a, 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 a lot about your history, a lot about some wisdom that you can impart on the for, uh, impart towards the rest of us. Uh, and and get us thinking about things that we might not be thinking about earlier or in the middle of our careers, and then definitely need to be thinking about near the end of our careers in the fire service. And and it goes for I mean anything that we're involved with, but certainly the fire service, law enforcement, public safety. Those those professions are particularly all consuming for some individuals like you, like me, and many. Not all, but many. And so we need to have some some wisdom from the experience that you've had experience I've had to make sure that people have both that healthy retirement mentally and physically, but primarily in this, in the lot of things we've been talking about, the things, the mentally and the financially, right? Yeah. So, so, so a bit of advice, if you will, for those people that are staying on the job, when you come across those retirees, whether it's the volunteer side or the career side, you know, when, 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 when I left the fire commissioner's office, I had done a lot of work with a lot of people on the national level. And, you know, new Chief Brunacini, and I was fortunate to have served with him on a couple of committees at the national level. I went, after I left the fire commissioner's office, I went out to Notre Dame and he was doing one of his blue card seminars out there. And during the first break of the first day, he said, I want to talk to you on the break. So he went down a corner auditorium. We sat down a chair and he, he was, 
I was it was an auditorium style chair seating. So I was sitting behind him and he turned around and he took my ham in my arm and rubbed my arm and asked me, he said, how are you doing? How are you doing? He's the only person uh, that I work with at the national level who ever took the time to ask me how I was doing. That's Bruce. Okay. That's it. And so so my point in all that is, for those of you that are sticking around the business, don't be afraid to invite those retirees back in. Have them stop by for a cup of coffee. Swing by the house and just BS with them. Don't, don't, don't write them off because they're not part of your fire department anymore. Uh, a simple phone call. Hey, how you doing? Let's go get a cup of coffee would be very beneficial for those people who have retired or who are walking away from the volunteer fire service. If the people who are still there showed that they still cared at least somewhat about the person that retired. Yep. You know, and, and, and I see, I see every now and again, there are career fire departments that have gatherings like once a month where they, you know, you'll see pictures on Facebook where all the old timers come in for a breakfast or something. That's great. That, that more of that needs to take place. Yeah, you know, uh, they realize the impact that it has on those that have retired. So, yep. but I think the 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 story you said about Chief Brunacini and his genuine personal interest in you—that's also an example for people still on the job and retirees. That, that genuine interest, right? Listen, be observant, you know, reach out, pull someone aside. And if you care about them, ask them. I mean, you just don't know how far that's going to go. Something, yep. a simple gesture like that. It really, it's a big deal. And, and and I walked on air the rest of the day. Sure. Because Chief Brunacini took the time to simply ask me, how you doing? Yeah, that's, that's what a blessing that was. You know, so. of all, all the right. people I worked with at the national level. He's the only one. And you've never forgotten that. See, nope. see never how, will either. He was just that kind of person. The, the, the time he was at a, a, a national training academy that we did in my previous life. I just remember working with him. He was just, he's, he was, an, he's an anomaly in, in our industry and just yep. a, a, a gift to all of us. So, and as are you. So um, Ed, thank you for thank being. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate yeah. it. No, I appreciate, appreciate you. I appreciate our friendship. And um, I look forward to the next time we reconnect, whether it's at a conference, on the phone, but just check in on each other now and then. I'll be grateful to you for that. And um, our paths will cross again. And uh, thank you for sharing your story today. And I'm, I'm sure hope our listeners and viewers can take some of that to heart and just have some introspection and think about their path forward as well from the things you shared with us today. All right, Tom, take care and have a great weekend. All right, you too, sir. Thanks again.